You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19. On today's Coronavirus Crisis Update podcast, I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Steve Morrison. And today it's just me and Steve, because Steve is the true expert. And I wanted to ask Steve what he thought of the plan that the White House rolled out yesterday, which was Thursday, April 16th, about a phased uh, reopening of the economy. So, Steve, what did you think? Thanks very much, Andrew. Well, I have a few reactions to this. First, I want to make the point that the rollout of this phased plan comes against the backdrop of two very, very stark realities. One is the advance of the virus through America, right? As of last night, 671,000 cases, 33,000 dead, and we're just at the end of the beginning. We're not at the end of this pandemic coursing through the United States. At the same time, we heard that 22 million unemployed, that amounts to the total number of people employed in 23 states. And so we're careening towards a deep recession, if not worse, and, and we're still in the throes of this. So pressures are mounting to have a plan to try and return to some normality. So the president rolls this out. What was a couple of things that were very striking. One, the president pivoted away from his assertion of total authority, which he had claimed on Monday. He backs away from a quick reopening. He backs off into a more realistic and cautious approach. There's no timelines set in the plan. He says to the governors, you're on your own. You're going to lead. Implicitly in this, of course, is he's putting distance between himself and this colossal catastrophe so that he can shift blame. But he's also backing off of this sort of aspiration to being a total authority. So that's one thing that is very evident in this. The other is the pressure of the election. We're seven months away from an election. The president is desperate not to have the economy in a complete depression and this virus not out of control. On the plan itself, it's three phases uh, I won't go into too much detail, but it is offers very general guidelines around how these three phases would be pursued. The first would be pretty tight and very cautious, where people would still be teleworking not re- and just returning in phases in select businesses, no non-essential travel, schools till, still shut. They use a 14-day window saying, you know, there needs to be some trajectory of decline, fairly vaguely defined what that means. Um, The plan was based on work that had been done by Tom Frieden, former CDC director, Scott Gottlieb, former FDA director, CDC and FEMA had presented plans. But what they put out on the table lacked the detail contained in the Frieden, Gottlieb, CDC and FEMA plans. Even though Deborah Burks, in rolling it out, said we have to have, in order to begin phased return to reopening the economy. We have to have surveillance. We have to have diagnostic testing. We have to have contact tracing. There was some discussion. We have to have serological studies around immunities. 
but there was no testing plan. And it's not clear that anyone in the national government is in charge. And there was no discussion of the fact that the scale of testing required for any phased reopening is going to be vastly above what we have today. What we have today is 3.3 million people have been tested. That averages out to about 150,000 per day. What is needed in a country of 333 million is the ability to do million or millions per day. That's quite a bit higher than 150,000 per day. And there's no plan for getting there. There's no plan for addressing the acute shortages of protective gear. And interestingly, the plan did not say we can only safely move to reopening when we've driven the transmission rate below what's called the reproductive rate of one. And what I mean by that is until you have stopped transmission and driven it below a level where each person infected is infecting one or fewer than one persons, only then does it become safe or feasible to start doing these sort of rollbacks. So it was a broad and vague set of guidelines, no time set, no testing plan. There was acknowledgement of the needs and no clear target in terms of what the transmission rate has to get to a set point, low point. I do think it's interesting that the guidelines themselves are forcing a conversation in this country around thinking ahead, around introducing behavioral changes that will last for a long period of time in terms of submitting to having temperatures taken, uh, social distancing that will continue into the workplace and and normal life in, in going in and out of shops, people working from home for long periods of time, having small gatherings, and taking this all step by step. I want to ask you about the widespread testing, which is a huge element of the three phases of reopening. President said yesterday in his Thursday news conference that, you know, the federal government shouldn't be forced to go and do everything. And he basically abdicated responsibility to the states to take care of the testing. But the states say they don't have the capacity to take care of the testing because they can't get enough tests and they're bidding against each other to get access to tests. So What is the president and the White House doing here by abdicating responsibility for the testing, yet saying we're setting the guidelines and at the same time saying the federal government shouldn't be forced to go and do everything? Well, what they're doing is they're they're setting up a collision. And by that, I mean, without a solution, a national solution on testing, uh, it sets off quite the reaction. What we saw yesterday and earlier in the week was pretty overt and vehement expressions coming from business executives, elected officials, public health experts saying, we cannot do this. We cannot reopen the economy without adequate testing and adequate public health infrastructure to do contact tracing, quarantining, isolation, testing, screening, surveillance. And until we have those in place, We are going to set ourselves up for high risk of rebounds, and that will be very dangerous. So the other thing I'd say is that polling that's come out this week shows fully 80% of American people agree with what I just said is being articulated by business executives and the others. 
what does this mean? This means I think it throws itself back to Congress. In Congress, you have the next stimulus bill under active discussion. It's proving to be complicated and difficult. You have a plan coming from Democrat leadership for $30 billion national testing program. And you have a a proposition for a $100 billion program of support to hospitals and public health agencies, jurisdictions. Those two are saying these must happen in order to be able to have a reopening in an orderly way that's not going to create rebounds and put lives at risk. We need to have this in order to build the confidence of the American people that we're not compromising them. So it's now going to shift, I believe, to the governors deliberating, and the governors have formed these regional groupings, West Coast, East Coast, and Midwest. Midwest and East Coast are a combination of Democrat Democrat and Republican governors, interestingly. So the governors are going to start looking more carefully at what can we do. They're going to be talking to Congress about this is what we need. I don't think the White House is done with having a role in this. They're obviously abdicating for now, but we also have the scientists and the doctors, Tony Fauci, Deborah Burks, Steve Hahn, Robert Redfield, Brett Garah. They're working on a national serology, uh, serological testing system uh, for uh, immunities. So they're working busy on putting a national plan together. They have made clear over and over again that the testing issue at the local level has to be addressed. It's just that their guidelines don't include any of the details that are laid out in like the Gottlieb or the Frieden plan or the CDC and FEMA plans themselves. So it's going to get thrown back to Congress in this next phase and there will be continued debate. And what we are likely to see if the current realities do move forward is very slow and cautious and patchwork. Patchwork is the best way to describe what these guidelines will lead us to. And if we don't fix the testing, we're going to be limited to testing select categories of people, i.e. healthcare workers, food safety workers, nursing home residents, people with chronic diseases. They're going to be, one way or another, they're going to be prioritized. And that's very important, but that's not going to be enough to get people feeling confident about reopening fully and getting to phase three. So Tony Fauci said yesterday at this news conference, and he was pretty clear about it, that he thought we would be just fine by the fall. Now, he did, you know, qualify that by saying, you know, doesn't mean that we can't have a resurgence, that we might have to put the disease back into the box. We're in uncharted waters. But he did give some real optimism that we would be okay by the fall when he was pressed by reporters in the room. What did you make of that? I think Tony Fauci and Deborah Burks were walking a, a careful line in continuing to remind everyone that the testing and the public health infrastructure for isolation, quarantine, and contact tracing are essential elements. We have to get those in place. And even under the best of scenarios, we're going to have outbreaks. We're going to have cluster outbreaks. We're going to have individual outbreaks. And we're going to need to be able to chase those down and arrest them effectively in order to not be forced into a full reimposition of social distancing. We can't just go back into a full lockdown. We need to have these pieces in place 
so that we can move forward in a logical way and that people are not over-responding every time we have this. But this is, this is what we're going to be living with for a period of time. I think he was trying to educate. Dr. Fauci is always thinking ahead and trying to communicate in a very lucid and, and, and clear way to the American public. This is the world we're going to live in looking ahead. And so it's a world in which we're wearing masks, we're social distancing, we're working from home, we're still in small groups, we're trying to open up slowly, but we're going to have setbacks, but we have to be we have to have the capacity to deal with those and not revert to a complete lockdown. And the answer to that question is testing and public health capacities at the local level. Okay, so what's going to happen now? A few of the red states with low infection rates and very small populations, you know, might move forward, but we're still accelerating in many places, DC for instance, where we are now. What are we likely to see, you know, going forward with this three-phase plan? Well, there may be a few states that are that have small populations that don't have that much traffic between themselves and their neighbors their neighboring states that may have low infection rates, at least as we know now, where they may be more aggressive at attempting to reopen with expanded testing and the like. There'll be some political pressure on Florida and elsewhere to do this. But overwhelmingly, I believe that the governors across the board are going to be very cautious. They're going to uh, be asking themselves really hard questions about what do we know and what do we not know. And if you have continue to have woefully inadequate testing, you're blind to how much virus you have circulating within your population. And so simply saying it's time to throw the doors back open because we've only tested a modest level and it shows modest levels in my state, I think that doesn't resonate well when you've got a Smithfield pork processing plant in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, turn into the biggest cluster outbreak in America in a very, very rapid uh, space of time, so over 600 cases. All that takes is a couple of cases getting seeded into a facility like that. And these are thinly populated areas. They're states with low infection rates. But suddenly you can just have such a, a wildfire happen. And if we have wildfires appearing in places like that, I think the governors are going to understandably, and the publics are going to ask themselves, okay, how do we move forward? I do believe that these staggering numbers around unemployment, up to 22 million having filed, I think that creates enormous pressure in the slowness in some of the response, the exhaustion of the financing mechanism for small businesses. That needs to be renewed. That's under debate up on the Hill. These measure, measures to cushion the impact, uh, the economic impacts, and keep people away, keep them off the cliff, keep them away from total desperation and immiseration are going to be as important in this period as a determined effort by the governors, led by the governors, to move ahead. The last thing I'd say on that, Andrew, is there are some places in the West Coast that are farther along on this, that are on the other side of the peak. At places like uh, Washington State, Seattle, King County, uh, Northern California. Um, these places we're going to watch carefully, and I think they'll be more experimental 
they'll be cautious, but they may be able to push out a little bit more aggressively. I think we're going to be watching carefully the experiences in Asia in the places that are far farther along. And we're going to be watching what goes on in Europe because across the board, these countries face the very similar set of pressures. Let's get, let's try to figure out how to move forward without making big mistakes that put lives at risk in order to get our economies back up and running. Steve, I want to thank you for your time today. Really important insights. We'll be back next week with more updates on our coronavirus crisis update podcast. Thanks so very much. Thanks so much, Andrew.